You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. to another episode of Love of Pages. Remember, if you're liking this new podcast, to like and subscribe us on any of your podcast catchers. And if you are looking for archived episodes of this podcast or other podcasts done by Geek Elite Media, you can find them all at geekelitemedia.com. Mm-hmm. So to get into today's episode, we are on part three of Scythe. I'm going to pronounce the word right the entire time. (laughs) My copy is on here. Not Sith, despite Jessica's obsession with the new Star Wars ice cream sandwiches that she was snapping us off. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, they're Star Wars ice cream sandwiches. I actually ended up not getting them, though, but. (laughs) (laughs) I received this really tempted. Long, multiple Snapchats of it. But we're in part three. And again, Jessica, the way you have chosen to break out this book. You're, fa- you're welcome. <laughs> I got bones to pick. I got bones to pick. But first, we're going to jump into our cocktail of the Co- evening. Cocktail that's not a cocktail. Co- <laughs> cocktail that's just red wine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, so we were discussing it all the way through and trying to decide what to do. And I thought you had the best line in describing who Goodard and his company was. Oh, yeah. I was like, Goodard and his company are basically the definition of the Long Island iced tea and any sort of bomb drinks, like the Irish car bomb or the Jaeger bombs. Like, that's just, that's them. That's their definition. That's what they're like a freight train. Yeah, Yeah. just. And then I was going off of that and I was going, so in... Where I went to school, there was a bar that did a group drink called Pond Scum. And like it was basically a Long Island iced tea on steroids in a fishbowl and dyed some electric blue, electric green color. Like it was so I was like, I was like, that should also be included. Like some sort of really not sanitary group drink. Because you're all drinking out of this. I know all of like two. I know only like two drinks at, at all. My 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 drink for this is just red Mountain Dew. Um, uh, I've never. I, I don't. I've never had alcohol. But um, like I know of like two drinks in the world, and one of them is called a paint bucket. Um, yeah, and that's that seems like the same yeah. concept. <laughs> paint bucket, pond scum, party bomb. Like I mean, it, it'll have all sorts of names. Basically, every. The fishbowl drink. All yeah. the liquor you can have, and then maybe a splash of Coke. And or then the substance, yeah. Yeah. So, but instead we opted to go to the good side, and we did red wine, which made me think of Madame Curie and yep. her... The Grand Dame of Death. <laughs> rye and reserved nature in this, in this, at this point in the book, and like... Mm-hmm. Very classic. I mean, she is 200 years old. So classic. (laughs) Like one one of the things that I I liked for her is the kind of character that she is. Like she's like more, I I don't know if she was always this way. Um, 
just because of what we're given of her character and everything. Mm -hmm. But she also had no apprentices or anything like that. Her relationships, uh, relationships with people were more separate. So Mm -hmm. I was wondering if like she was always this way or if that was more of a product of that isolation, you know? Because it seems like she is getting used to being around a person again. Yeah. Yeah. Although the intriguing thing is, is she is by far the most personally connected to the gleanings. Like she's not personal in choosing like Faraday is Mm -hmm. or was past tense was. Yeah. That's so hard for me to swallow. But even he didn't, I mean, we see in these first in these the first chapters for tonight, like she bothers to have all of the bereaved family over for dinner. Like she doesn't just grant them immunity because that's what she's supposed to do, but like she lets them mourn. Mm-hmm. She goes through yeah, she kind of sort of forces them to mourn. Well, yeah. she is um, she allows them to possibly try to take revenge. Yeah, yeah, like get out. <clears throat> Essentially, she processes them through all the stages of grief over a single meal, which, mm-hmm. not going to lie, food is a good catalyst for all those things. <laughs> and I, I, I do appreciate her line to Citra that, you know, when you live this long, you have to have a hobby and cooking's mine. I'm like, you're here. <laughs> I, de- I definitely agree with the, the idea that I've been through all of the stages of grief during one dinner. Uh, bargaining, acceptance. <laughs> I, I've done all of those through a meal. All, all of them. Yeah. So, but so yes. So we went with we went with red wine, mostly to save our livers and prevent ourselves from taxing the healthcare system more when we had to be hospitalized for drinking too much Long Island iced tea. (laughs) Remember to bring a straw to (laughs) to drink your wine under your PPE. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. Like, what was what were the biggest moments for you guys in this section of the book because there were certainly some freaking moments there were a lot there were a lot of moments within one middle part yeah I, <laughs> to that's me, why i separated out just the single part because i was like this is one that we could talk about for a while <laughs> yeah i mean for the most part in this section a lot of the really meaningful parts for me were with rowan like, Citra did exactly what I expected her to do <clears throat> throughout the section, up till the very end. Like, the very the last chapter of this section, obviously, is very much just Citra-based, and definitely was a turn I was not expecting. <clears throat> but for the chunk of this, I really felt like the story revolved around Rowan. That's fair. I, I do think that he's one of the main focuses for the entirety of what we've read. I like, even yeah. though we're introduced to so much of Citra and she's an important character, I, a lot of the world and the differences of the world and the reader, I guess, are delivered through Rowan. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, because I think he's like, Citra has to get used to Scythe Curie, but she's not really that different from Faraday like she still takes it very much as a serious and meaningful position and uh, you know there's a lot with honor and those kinds of things whereas she is the old guard as they say in the book she represents the old guard so whereas Rowan is flung into the 
new guard, quote unquote, the mm-hmm. maniacs and narcissists that is Goodard. But the bend the commandments to your will. Yeah. Yeah. The killing for sport. Like and which I do like that their argument to that is something that's close to how Faraday felt, which is like Faraday reflected deaths that happened during our time of mortality. And so that's what Goodard said is like, well, these did happen in the times of mortality. People murdered a bunch of people. Shootings happened all the time. Mass killings happen all the time. I just, like I find it interesting that he uses the same excuse use that Faraday does in a way Faraday is like well this is statistically how you would have died so mm-hmm. and that's why it works for Goddard yeah I guess my thing is is like I actually don't think I would have a problem with the mass killings of Goddard if they were truly from a calculated standpoint of mm-hmm. every so often mass killings occurred yeah and so that is going to be you know because I mean, even Faraday points out, like, everybody does it their own way. It's the joy he takes in it and the joy in essentially tormenting and torturing. And what he says before each of them, I am your completion and everything, like, Uh, calm down. He's got a serious God complex. And, like... The Goddard complex. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I just... That's the part I think I have trouble with is is the enjoyment they get out of it. Mm-hmm. That you don't see yeah. any of the others. I mean, even Voltaire, right? Voltaire? Volta? Volta? Volta. Volta. Mm-hmm. An Italian physicist. His name and keep wanting to say <laughs> Voltaire. Because um, he seems like a Voltaire to me, but a Volta. Um, Volta kind of tries to walk that line mm-hmm. almost particularly mm-hmm. as we watch his character development through this section yeah and the upset after these mask leanings yeah and he probably comes to the the closest to what i would say would be an acceptable version of goodard like it like i can do mass killings it's not you know it's just it that's the way i'm choosing to get it out of the way because mm-hmm. I want to do one at a time. <clears throat> so, I, like for this one, I, I definitely understand why the like the Scythum in general would accept the idea of the mass killings. But I I don't know. I feel like there should be some kind of like greater oversight committee. <laughs> you know, right? Right. <laughs> well, particularly because Goodard spends his entire time like being upset about the current oversight. And I'm like, you don't have any oversight. Yeah. Like, what are you no, talking about? Like, what oversight? Yeah. It, it's, it's like the idea of someone like living in Arizona and being like, man, these liberals here, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what? It, it's an interesting, it's an interesting structure just in general. Um, I, I, I imagine we probably, go into that kind of thing a little bit more as we go through the rest of the books. Um, it's got to be something to explore. They've got three books, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. At, at this particular juncture, we're only learning the world as the characters are learning the world, mm-hmm. really. Um, so, I mean, even going from the first section of the things to the second section of things, we mm-hmm. didn't know what the conclave would be like or anything of that nature, you know? Yeah. Um, what was the most unexpected part for you guys? Because... 
even though the idea of them getting split up in this section and going to the two different um, like groups was kind of like a bit of a, a turn on things, it didn't feel necessarily unexpected. Yeah. I think for me, the biggest unexpected part was who Esme was. Okay. Because I, I kind of gathered that she was... Like, when you get introduced to her as the most important person you'll meet tonight, like, okay, clearly she's a pawn because she's a child. Like, clearly she's a pawn. And at first I'm like, could there be something that he knows from accessing the back brain of the thunder, the thunder, thunderhead? Mm -hmm. Like, is she somehow like relevant to turning the site them or is she just a political pawn and who? Who is she a political pawn of? Is she just kind of like the shock and awe? At one point, I was like, well, maybe she's Goodard's child. That would have been an interesting one, too. I honestly thought it was going to be something having to do with her personality, which was not, it wasn't, um, that was more a link about who she's related to versus who she is by herself. But I thought it was like, this kid is just gluttony incarnate. You know, like I thought that was going to be the thing because I mean, at the end of the day, he's pretty like gluttonous for killing, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I thought he was going, he was picking her because of her, like, I guess, propensity for excess. Yeah. Which once we find out that she is the daughter of the high blade, which whose name I can never, I'm just not even going to try. Zenocrates? Zenocrates. Yeah. I'm yeah. Just, he's going to be high blade for me. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I'm agreeing to. Um, I should probably put more effort into pronouncing his name, but it's okay. So once we discover that she's his daughter, like to me, that makes a lot of sense. Cause yeah, he is also very gluttonous. Mm-hmm. Like he's the epitome of gluttonous. I think. Yeah. I think the other. Almost disappointing thing for me was was when Rowan kind of suggested that he thought Goodard had killed Faraday. That was... I was like, don't show your cards. You never show them. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? Like, He basically said that to Citra. Like, when she was going through the evidence, he's like, well, you don't have enough evidence to do anything about it. Like, you don't know what it is. And then he goes and does that and be like, freaking dumbass. Like, why would you do that? Because, like, I get from his perspective, like, he's already decided he has a death sentence. Like, we start at this section, he's decided he's going to die. That's just- Which, don't you just love teenagers and they're just, well, I can't kill the one I kissed once, so I'm just yeah. going to go ahead and just, Bam! I'm going to die. It was yeah. very sudden. Like, the, the switch to be like, no, I, j- I can't, I can't. And then, like... Well, I mean, so if I win, sense. I win, and then I deserve it more. Like, dude, come on! Like, why? Why is he so? He, he's very, he's very back and forth. Yeah, he's, he's, I, he's very traumatized. He's very, <laughs> he's very, very tortured. Yeah, he's very much a teenage boy who's going through torture. That was the yeah. other, the the removal of the nanites or the turning off of the nanites. Ooh. Yeah. To go through your man, your your manlyhood trials. I'm like, that is so. That's not even. Like, I get that for this realm, the 20th century is archaic, but like, mm-hmm. we're not even that archaic. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, playing sports in high school and stuff like that. No, yeah. that sounds pretty on the nose. So 
I mean, they're brutal, <laughs> but you, you're not going to, there's no way you're going to convince me that a football team, if it had the technology to prevent its players from feeling pain, wouldn't utilize that to its fullest extent. No, I very much think that they exactly would do this. Yeah, like, no, so- no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, they, they would, they would keep the pain away. They would make them go through it. What? You think yeah, they make them go through the pain? Yeah, I, I think like don't get me wrong. By and large, there's going to be a lot of teams, and it's going to fo- it's it would factor into like well, I mean like the Seahawks like they let you have pain nanites, but over here, I think that would factor into that. But there would 100 percent be a coach that's like we we adhere to like the old ways back before we had pain nanites. People were strong because they had to go through something. I 100 percent believe this. Coaches guess- fucking suck. You would have you would have odd coach here and there, but then again, the coach would be overruled by the parents and the school board. Who'd be like, yeah, no. <laughs> and for, for schools, yes, but for like the NFL and everything, uh, uh-uh. uh, no. There, there would be so many, so many teams that were just about the fact that they don't use nanites. I, I am I think so the sure. Players union would step in at that point. I really I, do. I maybe, but there's plenty of people that are just gluttons for punishment. <laughs> But yeah, I feel no, like I, the players could just easily argue that it would lead to them losing because they're actually feeling the pain where their opponents are not. So I, I, I feel like would, it wouldn't uh, be practical, maybe just for practice. But I think they would they would certainly blame it on like uh, like a loss or something. Like if they used it, dur- if they didn't use them during a game, they would complain about it. Like, I mean, yeah, like, of course, they play through the stuff like they don't even feel the hurt, you know, but I don't know. That's neither here nor there. But it's just it, that part to me, I was like, that doesn't. And like, I guess I could see the pain ones, but the healing ones, like that, every single person would use. Cause like, yeah, yeah, healing, of course. Yeah. Healing would never be turned off because you want all of that ability to just keep healing yourself. Like, mm-hmm. so like maybe the pain ones, but the healing ones didn't make any sense to mm-hmm. me. I Which mean, I, yeah. Could- could you imagine though, like never once seeing what a swollen black eye looks like because it heals that fast, and then to all of a sudden go through it? Like, the message was definitely received there. It definitely. I don't know if it was the right one that Goodard was going for, though. No, I feel like Goodard thought it would somehow turn him to his side. When really, I think all it did was feel more hate and more. Like I just, I didn't understand the symbol like i didn't understand how it would work but i guess it worked for the other five or six sites that are with good arts the others the other sites weren't apprenticed by him necessarily that's true volta was not apprenticed by him volta was apprenticed by a different Mm -hmm. site and i I, I forget who the person was i I feel that yeah i don't get the impression that the other two necessarily were either well, the, I the feel one, like it was a. I feel like Volta said though that it was like a rite of passage or something. I feel like he. I thought yeah, he they, said they something said they, they like that. Like, jumped in. Yeah. yeah. But the only thing, the only thing that I think would accompany it if you turn off the nanites entirely is that in that moment, um, you you stop the pain blocking and you stop the healing in that kind of way. But then there's also probably an element of the nanites that also tamps down like adrenaline and things. Yeah. So, well, in, in a person who's not used to any of those things, the positive or the negatives, the the positives that are behind that stuff, like the the flood of endorphins and things like that, probably also a pretty big like swell. They yeah, that, that though. And that's where you could get it to addiction. And yeah, I guess, I guess that makes more sense now. Um, which yeah, the the, the nanites. It was mentioned later on too that um, 
was it Xenocrates? I was like near the end. Xenocrates was yelling at somebody. He was so angry until his nanites gave him. It was like I think he called them emo nanites. Yeah, emo nanites. Yeah. <laughs> that calmed him down. Well, and Rowan talked about how his nanites had been tempered with to deal with his depression. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that was interesting too. It's interesting that doesn't come back around when the nanites are turned off. Right. That part up. Except yeah. here's the thing. It doesn't get explicitly addressed, but I think that's what happens. I think oh, that's what I think that's what Goodard doesn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. The fact that because oftentimes for those who end up depressed, it's not necessarily a feeling of sadness. It's a feeling of emptiness. It's mm-hmm. numb. Yeah. And Rowan talks frequently about just being numb. Mm-hmm. And like, in my opinion, what Goodard is trying to do, and don't get me wrong, I am no way making a direct correlation. But like the military often tries to do in boot camp, they break you down to build you back yeah. up as mm-hmm. a group. Good art is trying to do that process. Yeah. But when you don't calculate in for the mental, nothing. The mental and, capacities of the individual, yeah. you don't calibrate right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. one of those things that you're supposed to be calibrating for. And yeah, so, you, it's, not, it's not one size fits all. Yeah. So he's trying to break him down, like, well, I'll just build him back up and he'll love me because I'll be the only thing left for him. But when you just end up becoming an empty shell of yourself and you, it's just as easy to walk away as it is to stay. Mm-hmm. And all that it comes down to is whatever that first emotional catalyst is that gets you out and that determines which direction you head. Mm-hmm. That there's a big event that marks the end of the section of the book that we read. Yes. The t- the time leading up to that, did anyone like? Did anyone think that was something we would get in this? No. <laughs> no, because when when they're sitting at Goodard's party and they're saying, um. Like Citra's going to be taken care of. I thought they were going to just go figure out a way to kill her. Yeah, I completely forgotten the yeah. immunity. I figured there was some sort of trick to like getting rid of that immunity, mm-hmm. and so like they were just going to offer, and then so they pinned a murder on her, and you're like, huh? Yeah, I I didn't I didn't think that would be the one though. At the same time, like that's that's one of the things that I think is one of the main weapons inside of the scythedom. It's just politics. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if you want to get rid of somebody, just, yeah. Yeah. They it, I, I used to think it was odd how much we saw politics in YA novels. But then looking back on it, like, no, honestly, that makes sense. That's social circles. That's so many other things. Uh-huh. I mean, everything it's is the, the world. Everything mm-hmm. is politics and so so many of those things. I just wonder how we got less we get less people who are actually interested in like real world politics <laughs> out of it. I think people are often interested in real world politics. I think they get exhausted by it very quickly. Especially now. Like with, yeah. with the the with the way that it's like treated like sports almost. Yeah. Well and in and most YA you know, YA novels, you have a protagonist. You have somebody to root for. And if you can't identify clearly and distinctly a exceptionally good person in real world politics, and so you don't have anybody to root for, doesn't mean there aren't good people in politics, but they're human, as opposed to most protagonists in novels who are superior. 
Yeah, they're at- snowflakes. That's what yeah. it's called. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that's what the disconnect yeah. is. That's fair. Like every, everything's either like preternaturally good or like abhorrently evil. Yeah, yeah. that's all you see. Now, another important thing that was shown in this is you get a better look at the tonist and mm-hmm. their cults. I so I don't remember hearing about them in the first two sections at all. It was they like m- they mentioned them like offhand, like they're like missionaries. Yeah, like the only religion that there is is just the Tonus religion. Like it's that's pretty much the only re- religion that exists anymore because it's basically a religion of noise and sound yeah. and sense. Oh, really interesting. I think my favorite was there's dispute over whether it's an A flat or a G sharp. Is that what it uh, is? Yeah. yeah, it's it's G sharp. Although some say it's A flat. It's a big dispute. I feel like that. <laughs> Right the thing the question i had for is it's like i did i play music um i don't know if there's a debate about this idea in general like is there some mathematical part where those two things do cross and so you can actually question that yeah well a g sharp and an a flat would be literally right next to each other on the scale it's just if, like if i'm picturing right. the scale right it it's just a sharp of any note is close to the flat of another note, the, like the yeah. next coming note. So it, that's probably like it could be any. It could be an A sharp and a B flat. Like it could. Just, They're just it's, it's quantifiable. Like it just just a hair, like like a tick in one direction, and it would define it as either of those things. Yeah, I'm wondering. Maybe maybe I should look up to see if there is something about the beginning and ending of a scale where it starts. It's it's a it's a very odd one. And and then of course I know that they don't like believe in using the thunderhead, but I'm like pretty sure this is a question that like the thunderhead could just give you answer. It would just be like answer it. Or even like a basic like guitar a guitar tuning application on cell phones, which they have in this world. Uh huh. Just go flick the fork and then hold the phone up. You can find out. They don't need the phone. They're connected to the Thunderhead internally with the nanites, aren't they? Yeah. they? They do have phones, though. They do have phones. They do have phones. I cannot say why I know this because it's from one of the other books. <laughs> Somebody got excited. <laughs> but yeah, no, they, they they do have they have at the very least something that is akin to a personal. Uh, personal computing device that they reference as a phone. Mm-hmm. Got it. I guess, well, no, I guess they must have phones. You're right, because at the pool party where the high blade jumps into the pool, mm-hmm. Goodard says, yeah. if anybody uploads a video of the high blade, you get gleaned immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that would mm-hmm. suggest that they have some form of mobile recording device. Mm-hmm. Connected. Which I do think would have gotten a lot more developed. I, I am a bit confused about how much time has passed between, like, say, like now time uh, and the time when the book happens, because it seems like technology should have like skyrocketed. Well, at the very least, approximately three hundred years. That that's pretty much where I'm at for that one. Look, yeah. technology moves in exponential waves of development so they there should be no phones whatsoever this should all be like everything should be nanites except except here's the thing the thunderhead determines what technologies get developed that's fair 
useful. So maybe the cell phone is the most useful and efficient form of that over the nanites when weighing concerns about privacy and access and mm-hmm. um, potential for hacking. Mm-hmm. Any of those things. The the Thunderhead may have made the calculation and decided to put everything in the nanites in your body pose too much of a risk and people wouldn't be willing to use it. That's fair. And plus, yeah. I mean, the, the main form of technology that we even see is getting spearheaded by a corporation is the, the healing stuff, which makes sense. Yeah. Because that would yeah. be the most pertinent one. Or in this one, the quiet um, investment in space technology. Which is a very interesting one. There should be so much for this. Yeah. Like that, that would I, be a massive way to like even out all of this population nonsense. Well, it does mention it in this part um, mm-hmm. that there were attempts to do colonies outside of Earth. But the problem was the Thunderhead was not outside of Earth. So your nanites didn't work outside of Earth. So when things went wrong, they went wrong and... Utter destruction and everybody died and there was no successful attempt at colonization. Is what's mentioned. The the Thunderhead is a cloud. It's it's cloud computing, cloud processing, but it's still got to. It's got to be in some form of computer in some way, shape, or form. Even if it's distributed, I feel like the Thunderhead is something that someone could at some point like decide to at least take out at the knees. Yeah, like it has to have. Like a hub somewhere, it has to have. Yeah, it has to have main servers. Physical. Yeah. In some way. What I found interesting was not that the Thunderhead calculated that space colonization wasn't doable, but that he calculated that Thunderhead calculated that humans didn't have the appetite for it. I mean, once once you give them everything, like once a person has everything supplied for Mm -hmm. them. We as a species tend to like this is good. Yeah. Well, well that's is, it's kind of what they couldn't stand the concept of death when everybody else was immortal. Yeah. Well, so they weren't willing to take the risk, which I, me yeah. parallels to our current time space expeditions and the a lot of the reasons that we don't invest in the space exploration like we used to. I just feel like the like the people at the beginning of the space race or any technology thing that we've got, we've got like Chuck Yeager and all these other crazy ass people who did insane things to push forward uh, in like all these different forms of technology that still exists within humanity. So I think that would still be there. So it seems odd for even that part, you know? I feel like because you had those failures, like he mentions like three different failures mm-hmm. for every single attempt. There wasn't a There's single like moon good attempt. Mars. It's probably like we done <laughs> just we too scared. Then we're also sort of, you know, Curie points out and the Tonus point out that it's stagnant. Like you can't even think of wanting to do something like that because you've reached stagnation. Like you're just eh. well, even even Goodard kind of dates that kind of concept to Rowan about the reason one of the reasons you need to experience pain is, is because all you you haven't experienced experienced joy you've just or happiness you've just experienced mm-hmm. contentment mm-hmm. yeah but and to your point Stephen I think because we hear about this space stuff from the random engineer 
who clearly is interested in this possibility. He doesn't know what the Thunderhead really has planned, but he's interested in that this might be what it's planning. Mm-hmm. But he recognizes that there's a difference between him and the general public. And yeah. what he can stomach or what people like him can stomach and what the general public can stomach are two very different things. Yeah. Because that's the, on- I mean, that's, that's one of the honest truths about, you know, you're going to have those people who can stomach a lot more, who are willing to take a lot more risks than the general public is willing to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the larger the group gets, the more risk adverse it gets. It's true. And it's like people tend to go with the herd for that one. <clears throat> so. Yeah. Nice. But I, su- I suppose like, uh, for this one, what's, what's this, this next chunk of things we got here? In terms of for the next book or for the next parts? I'm confused. What are you talking about? We're, we're at that 30 minute mark here. Oh, okay. The footnotes. Oh, yeah. Footnotes for this episode is the next, our next segment. <laughs> so oh, go ahead, Jessica. Yeah. So in, in this book, they have a very interesting timekeeping policy in that they don't number years, which to me, I actually think is, you know, Neil just cheating. So he doesn't have to say exactly how far <laughs> into the future it is. <laughs> you can just say, it's the year of the pelican or something. Yeah. So the whole thought is that this came from the what we have today, which is the Chinese zodiac, which is the animals for years. And there's 12 years within the Chinese zodiac of all the animals. But um, I, the folklore that comes behind why it's those 12 animals is one of my favorite little folklore tales. I try to tell it to the kids. Um, when it's like sort of when it's around the Chinese New Year's too. And so and the folktale does tell you the order of the year, which the rat is first and the pig is last and there's a bunch in between. But um, uh, it also tells you why rats and cats don't get along, which I always thought was a hilarious add in to throw into. a Yeah. So basically this I want to say he's like a godlike guy. Can't quite remember but he's like humans need a way to tell time so we're going to use the animals to have a race across a river and whoever gets you know the first 12 to get to me and that will be the 12 years that we'll have and i can't remember why 12 was an important number but um and so the rat and the cat were friends supposedly but they were both very cunning creatures and they both wanted to win and so the rat and the cat were not good swimmers, but the ox is a wonderful swimmer. Mm-hmm. So they both decided together to climb onto the ox. But the rat decided that he wanted to win even more than the cat. And he knew the cat would be his competition. So he pushed the cat off of the ox into the water. <laughs> and the rat ended up being first because once the ox got to the shore, the rat just jumped off and was like, boom, I'm first, dude, <laughs> even though you carried me over here. So it goes rat, ox, and the poor cat was just left swimming in the river. He was the 13th animal to get there. And that's why There's no year. forever cats are chasing rats to get revenge for them not being able to be in the Zodiac. Um, that's one of the versions. Other versions is that they were roommates and <laughs> and the rat didn't wake the, the cat. The cat sleeps in a lot because cats sleep in like you do. so he tells the rat yeah yeah please tell me tell me to like wake me up wake me up and the rat's like eh, whatever and he goes does the same thing just rides the ox and the cat gets 13 and was like you were supposed to wake me up like how dare you so that's why Second cats it's very tom and jerry <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just I, I, I 
I hope there's a book that just collects all the different possible versions of that one story. I don't think so, because the book I read was the the cat saying, don't let me sleep in. That's the one I read to the kids. And But when I looked it up, I got the one that the rat actually pushed him off the ox. And I just thought it was just... To picture a rat pushing a cat was like... Just... They're, they're so strong, you know? They're so like, strong. They're, they're that strong. Anyone who's ever tried to take a cat off of something... <laughs> Yeah, would like never the- go would never be on board for that story that, they'd be like there's cat, no way the cat <laughs> is on an ox over water that thing would have been clinging for its life yeah. that that poor ox i feel so bad for the ox right <laughs> like no, why does nobody feel bad for the ox like what's the problem with this but the ox is just like eh whatever i'll carry you i don't care like i'm gonna okay, it's fine I, i'm pretty sure that's part of their personality too is that they'll they're the people you can depend on but mm-hmm. But yeah, and then I also, when I was looking this up, I found out there's not even just a year animal. There's a month animal, uh, a time animal, or the the month you're born, the day you're born, and the hour you're born each has an animal that goes along with it. And so you have your main self, which is that year, which for me is a horse. And then for your month, it's your inner animal, which for me is a rat, which (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) I'm rude. And then... (laughs) The, inside though yeah the day animal is your true animal which for me would be the goat and then the hour animal is your secret animal which is the snake for me <laughs> so i'm somehow a horse yeah. a rat a goat right. and a snake i would be so curious to find this one out for Where, where's the chart send us the link in the group I'll send chat. You, yeah i'll send you the link <laughs> i was I'm trying to remember i think i i'm either like the ram or the sheep or the goat 91 i think I think that's the goat. I don't know. Okay. I, I, oh, wait, no, I can show you because what's after the horse? Yeah, that's the goat. So you're the goat. I am the snake for the year. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, that, that's all. That's all I know. I don't you're, think I'm be able to all find. All I know the, is the year. The I did not know or the. Okay, so Jessica, February. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm getting there. So I have to find one side. to have pulled up. Jeez, what am I supposed to do now? Just keep drinking my wine. Such a for, yes. Keep drinking your wine. Talk about something else. Talk for the for um yeah. Talk if, about if, how. how you, if you drop that you thing in the chat the, here, if if you drop that in the chat, I'll make sure to include this with the video and the audio thing, yeah. so you guys can go find out yours as well. Tweet at us and then tell us what you got. Yes, please, please do. <laughs> yeah, know what everybody's inner, tr- inner true secret, uh, secretive, right? Is that that secret? Yeah, it's your inner animal, your true animal, and your secret animal. Interesting. I Which I read all of them, and I was like, I I share maybe one thing with all of these animals. Yeah, I, I like I I really fell out of the idea of any zodiac stuff whatsoever because I mean, I I, I know that it's not just about this one thing, but uh, I think I've talked about it before, but Sagittarius, mm-hmm. you're supposed like, they're supposed to be like really prone to alcoholism. And I'm just like, I'm sitting over here like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if that's, I mean, yeah, I think it's supposed to be of us, but like, I wonder if that's more just generally addictive personalities. So no, I, I, that one might be the case, but I mean, aside from like cheese, it's like, I'm not really, like, there's not too many things that I'm, like, addicted to. You're addicted to the fight for justice. Like, you're trying to put a positive spin on it to to get me to go for this, but I'm lazy about that, too. (laughs) 
No, I, I like I don't I don't know. I don't think there's anything that I'm like, I need this. Well, besides caffeine. Caffeine yeah. is wonderful. But I give that up once every two years for like a full year just to make sure that I still can. <laughs> I'm just glad that I've cut back from a full pot of coffee to three cups. So I'm <laughs> I'm feeling proud. <laughs> That's a lot of coffee. What was it? Oh, an yeah. average cup of coffee has sixty milligrams of co- or of caffeine in it, I believe. Uh, I'll take down like a solid like four hundred and ten milligrams of coffee or of caffeine a day. Like uh-uh. at, at my peak of absolute worst caffeine, I discovered that I couldn't consume enough like caffeine through liquid form, so I just ended up. Getting caffeine pills, over-the-counter caffeine pills, and doing caffeine, that way. Caffeine pills are dangerous because are. I, I can't, I, I can't, like, I, I, I can, sure, I can try to think, like, mm, well, I've had one pill or whatever. I will lose track, and I will take too many. Well, and one is four cups of coffee. Yeah. Gosh, it took me forever. But you can, you can cut them up. <laughs> I, I used uh, caffeine patches at one point. They smelled like Smarties. Uh, and then I also, uh, Perky Jerky. It's a uh, caffeinated jerky. It's mm. very good. It it sounds like it's going to be disgusting, but it's very tender turkey jerky that is marinated in soy sauce. And soy sauce is wonderful. So- I think I'm kind of here for this. I think I might, I might have to show me where to find this. I'm, honestly, most of the checkout stands in Walmart. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. But just, uh, you, you were typing away. Did you, did you find some things? I did find it. I put it into our love of pages little board thing. So, uh, well, well, I think Elizabeth, while you type this stuff in there, just what 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 do you predict for this last chunk of the book? I I can't predict because I've already read it <laughs> a few years ago. I could try to go back in time and think. I feel like by now I was most positive over who I felt deserved to win. Like between Rowan and Citra? Yeah, I feel like, well, not deserve, who I thought would win and actually be able to figure out how to win and not hurt the other person. I feel like I figured out who exactly would be able to do that. So, At this point, I think I was, I thought that um, like Rowan seemed to have a better like direct plan at things, I guess. Um, but like Citra seemed to be developing fantastically under uh, Curie. So I, I did, I didn't know who to stick with. Who, who did you come down with on this one? Yeah. I, I came out with Citra because of how <laughs> she figured out the back brain. That's fair. That's how true. She worked her entire way around it and managed to hide it from Curie. Mm-hmm. That was what got me was like when they were at the dinner, which was one of my favorite scenes when Citra finally confesses, Kiri was like, do you think you can hide anything from me? And Citra says, oh, I've been secretly <laughs> trying to figure out who murdered Faraday. And Kiri was like, you've what? What? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Citra's, are you bad? And she's like, I'm, I'm impressed, actually. <laughs> like, good job. I'm proud. I'm upset. At myself for not having seen it. Oh, go ahead. What? That's another thing we should talk about is the the punishment in public after Citra, you know, basically yelled at Curie after the first 
um, gleaning. It had to be like the, which, the showy one. Yeah, which somebody who feels embarrassment through fictional characters, I was like, oh god, oh god, like, <laughs> <laughs> like getting yelled at by your mother in public, just like, oh no, poor Citra. And then they get in the car, and Carrie's like, it's fine. <laughs> But that, that's like the ultimate relief in that situation. You're like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. But you still went through that initial, like, just what a wave of emotions just through that initial, just utter despair. And just because Citra, you can tell that she kind of is a perfectionist. So it really would affect her stronger than others to, like, <laughs> do such a big wrong and be insulted in public. Like, just. Mm-hmm like that so like to all of a sudden for Kira to be utterly fine with it I feel like would piss Citra off a little bit because you'd be like um what I was like now it's okay I feel like it would piss her off but she would also understand it yeah which is what I feel like solidifies the bond between her and Kiri more I feel like Citra and Kiri were sort of Rest in peace, Faraday. Faraday, but like Faraday, too Faraday. soon. Too soon. <laughs> Rest in peace, Faraday. But I feel like Citra <laughs> Curie were meant to be, like Citra was meant to be her apprentice. So that's fair. Her little yeah. Padawan. Elizabeth, okay. what'd you get over there? So my year is goat. Okay. My that's inner fun. animal is tiger. Salazar. My true animal is monkey. And my secret animal is also monkey. Ooh, she's a monkey. <laughs> Which, according to the website that Jessica has, um, lively yet mercenary. <laughs> they are opportunistic but companionable. Is it? Should we, should we be and the ability to use devious, utilize deviousness when necessary. Wait a minute, so you're a lawyer? Like <laughs> 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 I feel like I'm the right profession. I feel like we may, maybe we should like shoot this. If is there a share button on there? Maybe send this Mitch's way so you can go over this and just know <laughs> in advance. So he can just he can be aware. Well, he'll listen to this. He'll he'll learn. We got to wait till I get it on lockdown before we truly share. <laughs> it, we'll, we'll take a couple of extra weeks to to really put this one out there, you know? I'm going to sign a prenup. You get Jarvis. You get Jarvis. I want Zelda. I agree. Doing? Zelda's the better dog. Zelda's adorable. It's true. Sorry, Jarvis. He's asleep. He can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I guess um, like at, at this point, like, Thank you guys for ha- for joining us for this much of the book. I mean, it, it's it's a great book series and everything, and we like reading it by ourselves. But it's that much better if we get other people to join us for the ride, right, Absolutely. Jess? Yes, <laughs> you're welcome. Good. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so Jessica, where can people find you at? You guys can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey writes, and also don't forget to check we have an Instagram just for this podcast. So just search on Instagram Love of Pages. Mm-hmm. All right, and Stephen, where can people find you? You can find me across all social media as either Peppermint Gentleman or Peppermint Gent for short. Excellent. And you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media, our Facebook page is forward slash Geek Elite Media. A reminder to please like and subscribe if you like this podcast. And you can find archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts at geekelitemedia.com. Until next... Remember to keep turning those pages, and until next time, 
always remember to geek out. Geek out. <laughs> <laughs>